So we've definitely seen just the more native style, looks like you edited it in your phone style videos. And we actually had, I guess it was like a a mini little case study of a video that we had that I had come up with the concept based off of a trend that I saw on organic social. And it was like using the voice overlay that they have, except for your pet talking. <laughs> so nice. I don't know if you've seen those voiceovers on TikTok, but the person is talking mm. as if their dog is talking. So use that concept. I was like, this is going to kill it. We had it in a square format and it just tagged horribly. And we decided to take it in and didn't change anything about the video, just reformatted it for story, ran it on story and reels. Now it is getting some of the best KPIs that the account has seen. So just seeing that, it's just kind of showing us like that's where the eyeballs are now is they are definitely more on story placement. So that was definitely an insight that we are going to take. This is the Customer Acquisition Show, the podcast that helps you turn complete strangers into repeat customers and grow your business. What's going on, everybody? This is the Customer Acquisition Show. Thank you for tuning in today. I'm Daniel Green, filling in for Tom Meredith, who is out today. And I'm joined by two of our favorite people, Rachel, who you all know, who has been on the show a few times. And we have a new face. We got Danny here, all the way from South Africa. Very far away. <laughs> Very far away. Um, it's It's dinner time for you, I think. But it's yeah. like almost lunchtime for us. I know. You guys are lucky. <laughs> We're lucky that it's almost time for all of us to yes. eat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think that's the truth of it. Well, thank you guys for joining. I'm happy to be here with you. You know, Tom's out, so I thought it'd be fun. We're all old creative souls. We've all worked together at one point. I've moved to marketing. You guys are creative strategists. We've all shared accounts, I think at any given point. And I think, Danny, you've recently taken on a few that I was on before, I don't know, like two other people before you got it. And yeah, so we've got a lot of cool connections with the work at Tierlo. And Danny, how long have you been here? Almost three years. Wow. I know. That's crazy. That's long for millennial. That's really long. So (laughs) it's there's something. (laughs) It is something. I think I just hit five, Rachel, that would, you're Seven seven or eight. It might be eight wow. next year. I think I'm at seven. Man. A long time. <laughs> yeah. You, you've been here. There are what, like 70 of us at tier 11? And you're probably in the like yeah. top eight for being here the longest? Yeah. I think when I started, there was like 10 or 12 of us. So it's been Man. a journey. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Congrats. I mean, part of the journey, I think, has been fun because I think we've all three seen our roles evolve. Mm-hmm. As we've been here, even Danny, for you in three years, I think your roles evolved a little and we've seen things shift. But you guys, I believe, are officially creative strategists now, which is, I think, the most proper name for what we've been doing the entire time. Yeah, yeah. that's so true. So, so let's, let's start there. I mean, we're talking creative today. So in your own words, what's a creative strategist do? Oh, Rachel, you can go first in that one. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we recently just watched a training that explained it very well. There was, I think it was just like a tweet that someone had put, but it said that creativity without strategy is art. Creativity with strategy is advertising. And that was very interesting to me. But yeah, I guess it's just kind of bridging that gap between 
the creative design aesthetic side versus the data and media buying numbers, like bridging that gap a little bit more. That's the best way that I kind of look at it. Yeah, for sure. And I think there's a lot of like psychology like in it too. So it's almost like you are a consumer behavioral like analyst. You go in and analyze why people have certain needs as well and what you put in front of them. I feel like we are the therapists of the advertising world. How do you feel <laughs> about that? <laughs> yeah, you're great listeners. That's true though. A creative strategist does have to be of sorts a great listener. But Rachel, that, that's a really good quote, I think. I've never thought about it that way, but it's kind of true. I've got some notes here. And the next thing on my list was actually, what's the difference from your perspective between having like a marketing strategy or a creative strategy versus something like a creative calendar? So if you're talking about with an account, I think we've all probably lived and died by a creative calendar at some point in our lives. I don't know. I have my own personal opinion on this and just I could probably poorly explain it off the top of my head. But I'd love to hear your thoughts on like the difference between a marketing strategy versus like a marketing calendar and maybe how they interplay. Yeah, I think the creative calendar is more just getting content out. And I guess I view that more as far as social media organic we just want a bunch of stuff and we just want to put stuff out the strategy side and the marketing strategy it's more detail oriented like we're definitely digging into the data you're not just pushing stuff out just to see what sticks we're definitely looking into each individual thing whether it be something new that we're testing that is based off of avatar research or if it's something that we're iterating on so we've seen something that's working and now we are kind of going back to the drawing board and seeing, okay, well, which piece of this is working? Is it the headline? Is it the hook? Is it the image, the anything? So I think that's the main difference is just the thought process and intention behind what you're putting out. I like that word intention. Yeah, intention is true. I think the strategy to me, I, I think you said kind of what's in my head, Rachel, but the strategy is what should be driving the calendar in order to make it effective. Like you could have a content calendar, like I could, for my own personal social account, I could go take a bunch of pictures and schedule them out, but it would be aimless. There's no goal in that other than having content out and maybe trying to make an algorithm work in my favor. But again, for my personal socials, I don't care. I think the last time I posted was a month ago. So, but yeah, I, th I think intention, Danny, and like you said, that's the keyword strategy is laying out your intention for an account. What are some of the more common issues you've run into or seen the most, I guess, with some of your accounts when it comes to like building out a strategy or making a strategy work? Or maybe something that a client has brought up that you've seen before. What are some of the things we could talk about here, just issues that somebody making a strategy might run into? I think from like the top of my head, if a product is not selling, the client pushes to advertise it. And that really like makes it difficult to the strategy around a product that might not actually be working for them and they're wanting to push it and the focus is not in the right place. That's a bit of a hindrance, I would say. <laughs> yeah, we talked about that, I think, with Lynn on one episode here of uh, building building like an effective offer. And I think that's a huge, not problem, but it's definitely something that makes it harder to build a strategy around. Like you said, when you have an offer that isn't great or is missing pieces, it's really hard to build an effective ad strategy around that because, I mean, your offer's not good. You're trying to sell something that effectively is not good. Yeah, I think something that I've seen as well is 
when the customer has in their head of how they want to talk about their product or service or even just how their brand is. And then we come to them with, well, this is what your audience might need to see or want to see. And that disconnect of like, well, we don't want to say that or we don't want to do like native UGC because it's not beautiful aesthetic. And trying to communicate that and show them that this is what we should do is sometimes a bit difficult because they sometimes have a hard time letting go of what they think should be said versus what their audience wants to hear. That's an interesting point. Because, you know, I think my personal belief on being a creative strategist is that the most important part of your job isn't making sure things look pretty. It's not creating images or videos yourself. It's actually the research that goes into it up front that drives everything and not just researching the client and their product, like their offers, anything like that, but also researching their audiences. That's a great point you made. A client may not feel like their audience thinks a certain way or wants to see something presented a specific way, but their audience may be saying the exact opposite. And something that doesn't align with the client's thoughts might be aligning perfectly with the audience. Let's talk about research, because that's probably a big part of what you all do, especially when onboardings roll around and you're getting a new account. So either one of you could start, but what are your approaches to researching a client, their offer, and their audiences? Sure. For me, I really like digging into Reddit or like something that's quite authentic when it comes to hearing people's voices, digging into the comments of ads that have done well or haven't done well. And you really get to like hear the voice of their audience or their consumer to be or potential and really see what the pros and the cons are of what's happening of the product. Yeah, I think as a creative strategist, I always view myself as a little spy, like infiltrating from the the back, because that's really how you work it. Instead of viewing like I have this product, I need to sell it to people. You have to start from the other side where you're like, who would even want this? What do they want? What are their wants and needs? And then it gets to the product way at the end. I like Reddit as well. People are brutally honest on Reddit or other forums like that. Otherwise, seeing what people are saying in comments or just once you identify your avatar, just kind of see what they're posting in Facebook groups and things like that, that might not even have to do with that product, but just in general, like their general wants, needs, desires, things like that. So yeah, definitely infiltrating from behind as a little spy. It's how I view myself yeah. when I'm doing research. I also love a YouTube comment. Like I can sit and make a bowl of popcorn and just like read YouTube comments. It's just like my favorite thing. So. <laughs> yeah, tons of comments. Yes. And then something I've been doing recently is pulling words and then putting them into a word cloud generator so that once I'm done, then I can see some of the words that are jumping out. And then that will kind of give me a good idea of some of the common themes. Yeah, that's a good idea. I feel like that could get chaotic though. It can. Like after you, yeah. you have too many words. Yeah. Some of you have to you can filter out some of the like A at the filler words like that, but yeah. Are you copying you said words, but are you like going into a review or a post on Reddit and copying like the full post? Yeah, usually and then and dumping it in there? Yeah. Yep. Interesting. I've not done that one. It can get I, chaotic, but you do see words that will stand out, so it's helpful. Yeah, it makes sense. I'm a very visual person just in general, like if I'm learning or researching or anything like that, but I don't deal well. And my wife would argue this because I can deal very well with clutter. My desk is a testament to that. 
but words on a screen, I can't. So I don't know. I may have to try it and just test my stress levels out. Yeah. I'd rather just do for, that for a test run than a spreadsheet. Spreadsheets freak me out. So <laughs> yeah. See, I like spreadsheets because I can play with like rules and colors yeah, and true. all that. But it also probably wastes time because I get too detailed with little things that don't even matter. Reviews and Reddit posts, I love going into Amazon. The one thing that I love about that too, is if you think about like a buyer's journey, let's say their first touch point is a Facebook ad. This could lead to a whole separate conversation on attribution, which we've done a lot of shows on like tracking and conversions and attribution and all that. But you think about it, their first touch, let's say it's on Facebook. And this is me 100%. I'll just say, this is how I do it. I'll see an ad on Facebook. I will then go straight to Google and I'll Google the product or the company. That's my starting point. I'm like, okay, whatever. Like, see it there. Cool. Maybe I'll buy it. I go straight to Amazon. That's kind of my flow. No matter what, Amazon's the first place I look because I get the free shipping with Amazon Prime. It's going to get here in two days. Uh, A lot of times their prices are lower, which I don't know if you guys saw like Amazon, I guess it's like, I don't know, about to get a lawsuit dropped on them. No, no. For uh, being a monopoly, like an antitrust lawsuit. But part of it was actually they're supposedly forcing sellers to give their lowest price on there. So Amazon's the most mm-hmm. competitive place. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. But that would explain why my go-to move is Amazon when I want to buy something is there's usually a low price and I want to go there. So I love Amazon reviews. I think Reddit's great for brutally honest reviews. Mm-hmm. Amazon, you've got to be cautious with, I think, because there are companies out there who will incentivize reviews. So like, give us a five-star review. We'll send you a $20 gift card or something, you know, which is wonderful. I've done that before, but I just love it because I think that's where a lot of first-time buyers go. And I think you do get, as long as you can filter it out and as long as you can really discern what's real, what's not, which is easier said than done. That's a great place to see reviews from first-time buyers who really just experienced the product. That's at least been my take on it. So I love Amazon reviews for research. What are a few other places? Oh, competitors too. We didn't talk about that. Competitor reviews are killer. Do you guys use those? Yeah, I do look at competitor reviews to kind of see what people are saying. Sometimes I'll go to the five-star reviews and see what are they saying versus what the product or service I'm looking at to see if there's something different. Is there something that's missing from the competitors that we might have that we can do like an us versus them thing? And you saying like the five-star reviews, that's actually, I think I might've mentioned this on another episode that I was on, but I tend to look at the three and four-star reviews a lot, or even like maybe two, two is getting a little iffy, but the three and four-star reviews are kind of where the best information comes from because People are just happy enough that they're not just going to be like, this sucked, I'm, I'm so upset. Or if they're just like, I love this, nothing's wrong. Those tell you, you were happy, but just not quite. Like what's missing there? So those are kind of the most important ones that I get information from. Yeah, it's kind of like with testing, if you're getting a group score or something, it's like you eliminate the highest score and the lowest score. And you know, you kind of find that middle ground. I kind of think that same way too. I think Amy even mentioned this when she's doing copywriting. That's how she does it. She'll look at five-star reviews because there is some good stuff. Like people love it. That's great. But she's very intentional with how many stars she'll look at. So I love the two to four range personally, because I think that's like where the truth lies. I feel that. So to say, I I think you see one-star reviews, I think are pointless. 
just one star review and it's like, ah, the product was damaged when it arrived. Exactly. And it's like, cool, yeah. that doesn't help it me. It showed up Thanks. late. <laughs> yeah. Like and that. then the five star reviews, you find there's a little note on it. Like this review is an exchange for this. And it's like, oh, okay. Five star reviews are good to grab when you want a testimonial for a creative. But when you're doing research, I think, yeah, two to four is where you kind of get the most important information either on your product or service or competitors as well. Yeah. So we do all this research. What do we do with it? Good question. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think once you've done your research, turning that research into knowing how to speak to your consumer instead of saying, I mean, a lot of clients are like, how do we reach our customers? And it's actually the other way. It's like, how do we speak to them? So I think it's formulating that research, that Reddit research, that Amazon and seeing, okay, these are what people are looking for and how they want to be spoken to. And then taking the product, writing out how to mess, what headlines are, what different ways we can approach them emotionally. Is it humor? Is it more factual based? Especially if it's like a supplement brand, you know, people don't want humor necessarily, but they do want more factual headlines. And yeah, I think just refining it into how to speak to them. Yeah, it's just refining that, taking it down. That's you've been working on these pillars where you take all of this information and then boil it down into okay, what are the key desires and how do we translate that to our product or service? What about our product or service is giving them these benefits that they are looking for, whether that be emotional or functional benefits? So then it's just translating it from there then into, okay, how do they prefer to be spoken to? Where are they? Are they on TikTok and things like that? Translating that, boiling it down into their language. Yeah. And I think that's where you probably can start to connect your audience research to the client and offer research. That's really where you're starting to connect the dots and you're really starting to see like an image form in your head of like, all right, this is what we need to be saying. This is the problem we identified that speaks mostly to like the majority of our audience. I haven't done like a real deep dive on a customer in a while. We were talking about this before the show that it's been a couple of years because I've been handling Tier 11's marketing along with Tom and a few others. So It's interesting wrapping my head back around this, trying to remember the way of the creative strategist. It's so fun. The psychology of it is so fascinating. And I really enjoy that piece of it, like digging into how people's minds work and even down like from a big standpoint of what they want, but then also even from a little standpoint of like pink buttons work really well, (laughs) something really small. So it's so fascinating. How do you translate this research Let's say you translated it to the offer, clients on board now, you're like, yep, this is our direction. How do you then translate that to a graphic designer or a video editor? What's your process there of taking the research and getting it through production to a finished product? I would say you start with developing your messaging and figuring out what you want to say. And then that's when I'll even use ChatGPT, one of my new best friends, just to go in and just Like, okay, I have this big concept. How do I boil that down into headlines or words to put on an image? And then having this understanding of our pillars and messaging that we want to use has been a little bit easier to translate to editors and designers to say like, okay, this is our goal. And I think that's been the difference is before instead of just saying, hey, we need 
four images, this is the text on it. Like really going into the brief of saying, this is the goal behind this brief. And so I think that's helped all of our mindsets shift. So like even when they're looking for images, if we're looking for something that is spreading joy, they're going to be looking for images with faces that emanate joy. So I think having that understanding and having a goal behind our briefs has been helping a lot. Yeah, for sure. I think us expanding like a sort of mini questionnaire before we even like write out what we need, how many images we need, we give them a story of what we're working on. And as you said, that we share the goals, we share who we're speaking to, and that really makes a difference. Why are we speaking to them? Why this particular person, essentially? And I think it's really important for designers to work alongside you and to have one that is almost your right hand in that too because by giving them the power and education of what's going on in strategy it allows them to also like expand their skill sets I think it's so difficult if somebody says to draw a dog and you're like okay well is a dog standing up sitting down is it happy is it sad is it sleeping you need to know so much more to really build the full story or the picture if you were to draw a dog what kind of dog would you draw my dog <laughs> <laughs> But probably sits in. <laughs> Rachel, which of your dogs, of your uh, hundred dogs, yeah, would you draw? Yeah, my hundred dogs. Uh, probably my husky. She'd probably be the easiest to draw. I'm not the strongest at drawing. <laughs> I think so you chose cute. the one with all of the fur. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just make her a big fluff with pointy Just ears. Just a bunch of lines. Yeah, <laughs> yeah a huge so, misconception about people that are, that are in the creative industries that they can draw. And I'm like, no, I can only draw a stick man. And I can't draw either. <laughs> yeah. My brain works creatively and I can definitely do things digitally, but yeah, freehand, no. <laughs> no. I can with the right list. amount of time and a good sizable eraser. <laughs> 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 well, cool. How about this? Let's go into a hypothetical. And I don't know that any of us have been in this situation, but I'd also argue that all of us probably have to an extent. So let's say we get on our weekly client call with any given client, their marketing lead, the manager, CMO, whatever it may be, just our point of contact comes in and said, guys, we've got an issue. Something happened. I don't know what it is. None of our ads seem like they're working that we've been running. I know we just did a lot of this creative work, but it's just not working. We aren't seeing sales on our end. We've got to do something. As a creative strategist, I know we've got customer success account managers in place. So they're obviously there to help. But as a creative strategist, what's your first step and how do you approach this sort of a situation? Sure. I would look at the landing pages. <laughs> I mean, yeah, because sometimes landing pages don't always link with your creatives or they change the landing pages behind the scenes. and You don't know about it and you've designed for this one particular one. So like that would be my first time is just spending to see if they are like aligned and linked. I mean, that's happened a few times and I'm like, okay, I've definitely like seen the light now so. <laughs> <laughs> no i mean that's such a good point though and that's why we've got a conversion architecture team here you know that's what we call it the sort of back end after the click stuff that's a good point the cohesiveness is key yeah and that's like when you look to see like are people clicking through and then they're bouncing or are we just not getting any clicks at all and that's when we would want to look at our messaging and all of that i guess if i've was going to just do some quick put out the fire. I sometimes will go to their organic side and look at the insights there and see if there's any high engaging things. 
just to see if we can align with something that they're doing there, just to get us back on track. That's an easy fix because you already have some insights on something that's working. Yeah, I think it's also important to also be well educated on the world goings on. And sometimes when things don't work, there's something bigger that's happening, which people aren't in that mindset to purchase or to buy. It's also quite interesting. There's so many like many macro influences in that environment where you don't even realize that maybe the recession is causing this or that it's the end of the month or I don't know, there's some crazy storm somewhere and I don't know, but people's attention is not where it normally is. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point because there's a lot of times where if there's something, yeah, like big weather thing going on or something political going on, there's eyes on social media. So like they're, the people are there, but their intention is not there. So that's a good point. It's also knowing seasonality, like if your product or service has seasonality then you might have to shift a little bit of what you're saying. And then it comes down to the psychology again. Uh, That's a good point. External forces can be a big driving factor in sales or lack of sales. We've seen that for a few different accounts that I can remember. I, I remember seeing that where, you know, it's nothing that any of us could control, but just there's an off week or an off weekend because something big happened or maybe there was one day where a piece of machinery, a supplier of this company, again, out of their control, went down for just a day. But then that caused massive issues down the line or, you know, something like that. External forces can play a huge role. I think you mentioned, Rachel, looking into social media, and that's a nice little segue. How are you all leveraging or are you leveraging social media, organic social content for your customers or your accounts? Yeah, definitely. If you're not, you should be. (laughs) Because the style of organic is now working on paid. And that's what people are wanting to see. You can easily, if you go into the insights of their organic social, you can see what's getting high engagement, what's getting a lot of comments and things like that. Sometimes you can just run that as is in paid and it works. It translates well, or you can just shift the messaging just slightly to make it a little bit more paid friendly. But yeah, definitely seeing that more organic style working very well. And it's definitely something that you should be looking at and it should all work in tandem. It's also something that you should explain to the client as well. If what is working on paid, if they're not translating that over to their organic they should also be aware of that, of what's been working so that they can also continue to be posting things that we see working. Yeah, that's something we've been making a big stink about lately, I guess. It's probably not the right word for it, but you all know what I mean. Of just organic social and the power of it. I think one of the coolest things we've talked about probably the past month, month and a half within the agency, but on a couple of shows here, is just leveraging the power of social media in order to find new audiences. Last week or two weeks ago, we were talking about TikTok specifically. And I just look at TikTok and I'm like, you're a giant search engine. You're the most visually interactive search engine out there because people are posting recipe videos, how I did this videos. It's basically free exploration for companies. When you think about it, your organic social is free exploration for new audiences. So if you were to use TikTok as your example, you could just crank out social content. And I know that's easier said than done. We did a show uh, a while back, like I said, where we talked about some of the techniques you can use to kind of mass produce content, but you could just mass produce content, throw it out there for free. And you start to get signals back on like, oh, wow, this video 
really took off or a lot of people commented on this one. That must be some sort of message in there is what's resonating with some group of people. And then you have to decide like, okay, is that our current audience or was this a new audience? And like, did we just discover a new problem that people are having that our product or our brand can solve for them? So I think that's the biggest way in my mind that you can leverage your organic social. That's the cheapest, most powerful discovery tool that we have available right now. And it's not chat GPT. It's not AI perusing the web for you. That's real-time feedback from real people as they identify with something. So it's really cool to get those insights from organic social. Yeah, we actually just did that. In one of my accounts, there was a organic post that had really, really high engagement and just dove into it. What is it about this? What's the message underneath there? And from that, we developed a whole new concept and almost a new benefit that we didn't realize. And I just finished up brand new creatives all around this new concept that was a benefit that we hadn't even really thought of. Yeah. So you're turning basically an idea from organic, free, unpaid social media into a paid ad campaign, which is cool. That's the kind of power that it has is it can drive your marketing budget in a certain direction. And you already know that this has traction because you've already seen the signals. Again, that's just one of the coolest things about social media these days is the power that it can hold that you may not even recognize. But there are so many ways you can leverage it to increase sales and increase your brand awareness. So let's maybe shift away from the tactical side of doing things. What have you both seen, whether it's a trend that you've seen just on social media or on the internet or even TV, wherever it might have been? What are some trends you've seen or what have you seen that's maybe working on one of your accounts lately? Nobody hurry up. (laughs) No rush. No, I mean, I can go. So we've definitely seen just the more native style looks like you edited it in your phone style videos. And we actually had, I guess it was like a a mini little case study of a video that we had that I had come up with the concept based off of a trend that I saw on organic social. And it was like using the voice overlay that they have, except for your pet talking. (laughs) So I don't know if you've seen those voiceovers on TikTok, but the person is talking Mm. as if their dog is talking. So use that concept. I was like, this is going to kill it. We had it in a square format and it just tanked horribly. And we decided to take it in and didn't change anything about the video, just reformatted it for story, ran it on story and reels. Now it is getting some of the best KPIs that the account has seen. So just seeing that, it's just kind of showing us like that's where the eyeballs are now is they are definitely more on story placement. So that was definitely an insight that we are going to take into the whole account now. So you changed nothing other than the aspect ratio, which (laughs) then informed the placement of it. That's crazy. That is crazy. It's interesting because you probably had seen it in that format, in the reels or whatever it may be. And even if you had changed, when you changed it, it didn't do as well. It's so interesting. And it makes sense thinking about it now because it's a trend that's going on on TikTok and that's where people are used to seeing it in that format. And so then seeing it in Square, I think it's just, again, that little psychological thing of like, oh, this is an ad, like this is different. But then seeing it in that organic way, people feel comfortable with it and they interacted with it more. So it was very interesting. It's like a 
like they trusted more, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Yeah. It's comfortable. So interesting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like wearing tracky pants. Yeah. <laughs> what, about, what um, about you, Danny? Yeah. What have you seen lately? Well, I've seen that less text is essentially like more successful. Well, I'll say that in inverted commas because what is a success? <laughs> but yeah, so we had headlines and the discounted price on these images. Really just felt like we had to simplify the image. So like we took the background away, we placed the product on like a white background, super clinical with just the price offer and we obviously allowed the ad copy to speak to why they're getting this what is the offer it did really well and it was so interesting to realize that maybe sometimes simplifying things is better and we obviously put emphasis on good design but then I never understand why sometimes the most simplest design does better there wasn't even any context to why this price was the way it was and why it linked to this product. Maybe it was more intriguing or whatever it may be, but it could also be the more organic way of using imagery. Have you, with that account and that specific example, have you tested that further? Have you done any more creatives lately that you've kept really simple? And what have you seen there? Yeah, so we're busy iterating on that now. And we like, okay, well, let's keep the price tag as it is. Let's now change the background to something else. Let's change the product the way it's sitting. There's lots of other things that we're now looking into, which is like color, which is the different sides of a product. Like as Rachel said, pink buttons do really well. And we were listening to a webinar kind of thing with this lady. And she also had mentioned the brand logo to sit at the bottom left that does really well. And it's small things like that, which you dive deeper into that. The other day, I'd also seen there was these two phones against each other. And, you know, you get SMSs that sometimes say like 20% off this offer. And the one had 20% off the offer discounts until the 9th of May. And the other one had the offering, but we're having the sale because we want to clear the shelves in our department store. And that did a lot better because they had given a reason to why they're having the sale. And I mean, now I've literally just said that we had no context and it did really well. And this one does well with context, but you know what I mean? Like, (laughs) I don't know. It's a weird world. (laughs) Yeah. That's the interesting part of the iteration process is especially the first round when you just kind of put stuff out there, then you're like, Oh, this one is working. But then we have to dive in deeper of like, well, what part of it is working? Is it the image? Is it the text? That part of dialing in is interesting. And that's, where we're at now is testing beyond that of honing in on which part of that is working and then we can iterate it on a bigger scale. Yeah, I think the iteration process is probably one of my favorite parts of it, especially like when I was designing stuff or editing videos. It's just fun to come up with those trivial things. But I don't know, it's like playing with blocks. You buy Legos and let's just say because I'm a nerd, you bought like a Star Wars Lego set and you're like, I'm going to build the Millennium Falcon. And it's like, Cool. I know what it's supposed to look like. I've got a finished product. But little kid Daniel, I'm going to build it once and tear it apart. And then I'm going to build other spaceships with it and see what looks cool. You know what I mean? Like, it's kind of that same feeling of like, cool, I built something I like that I'm proud of, put it out there. Now let's build other stuff with it. I don't know. I think that's where creative brains tend to go. It's playtime at that point. But I also think the, the funniest thing about the iterative process is like you said, that first round, I just imagine researchers staring through a window at a focus group with a clipboard and literally all they're doing is just going, huh? Yeah. (laughs) Okay. 
Yeah. That's the reaction from the first round. And then it's like everything you're writing down on the clipboard is informing the next round. But it's so funny because you never know what's going to resonate. You think you do. It depends yeah. on the product too. <laughs> yeah. A product like, let's just say like a backpack or something might work better on a white background than a supplement on a white background. Because I don't know, you can make a backpack look cool with the right photography, but a supplement bottle is always going to be a supplement bottle. It's just going to look like medicine or whatever. So it's always interesting to play with stuff like that. Have you done any other trivial changes with colored backgrounds or anything like that, Danny? Yeah, I have for other cons for sure. Okay, um, but not, not with that example. But not with this example, no. So that's what we're currently working on at the moment. And we're going to launch these on Monday. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. Nice. We'll have to do a follow-up show. Yeah. <laughs> In other accounts, when you've done different color backgrounds, does it make a difference? Does it make a big difference? Sometimes it does. And it's something you don't expect either. Or like even just highlighting text in the headline that and you make it red or highlight a certain word to trigger somebody's interest like it really those things do make a difference and even just displaying the information differently like if you have a product in the middle and you display the information around the product or next to the product there's a huge difference in that yeah i mean that's what's crazy about the the actual creation process of an ad is there's so many different ways you can present something or say something and it's fun to figure out. You just hope you do it sooner than later in your process. So one of the things that I noticed the other day, this was actually not on Facebook or Instagram. It was on YouTube. There's a place called Salad and Go. And it's like a little drive through salads and wraps sort of place. Very small. There's one a couple miles down the street from us now. They just started popping up around here. So like I'm starting to see more and more ads, obviously targeting our area. Uh, but the thing I noticed is the style of the video that I saw on YouTube from them was very much, you know, you've seen on, I don't know if you guys have, but I know Tom and I have talked about this a lot and shared them. There are videos of people who are like the at-home sort of content creators who make these incredibly high-quality ads with like seamless, crazy transitions that just look like they spent tens upon tens of thousands of dollars hiring a production company to make this. But it's them in their house with a light, a wall, and like their cell phone on some contraption, spinning things from strings and just stuff that doesn't make any sense. And then it looks beautiful. This is the style of the ad I saw. It was like one of these TikTok content creators walked into a store and was like, hey, can I shoot you a video real quick? So I thought that was interesting. And I'm going to keep my eyes open more is that I think brands are starting to realize content creators might know what they're doing and be able to produce something that's going to resonate visually with a lot more people than if they were to do it in-house. So that was an interesting thing. I think it's probably going to be a trend, but another solid segue, UGC, I think is big right now too. Have you guys been using UGC in many of the accounts? All the accounts essentially almost, I think. I mean, I don't know if it's the right thing to say, but like, I do think UGC is a tough market now because people are feeling like there's more actors and actresses doing it and it's more scripted. It's all these things. So it's so difficult to be authentic when you get UGC nowadays. So yeah, I think that's in a transitional phase too. And I'm not sure where it's going. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause I've noticed that too, where, I mean, I'll even see as I'm scrolling through, there's this new, I don't know if any of you have seen it, Danny, you might've, because I think it's like more geared towards women, but it's like a at home laser hair removal. 
And I've seen dozens and dozens of influencers talking about it. And if I had only seen one of them, I would maybe be like, okay, yeah, that's cool. But I've seen so many of them that I'm like, okay, clearly they just spent all their marketing dollars this month getting these content creators. And I now no longer know what's real. And I've even seen in the comments, someone being like, can someone who actually bought this and didn't get paid, tell me how, like, if they like it. So yeah, I definitely see that as well. And so sometimes it's even down to just the creator that you have. Sometimes just that person resonates or is more authentic. But I also think as well, something I'm straying against is if we are getting UGC, not giving a script, because that it's mm-hmm. very easy to tell when yeah. someone's reading from a script, even if they're a pretty good actor. So just giving them general talking points has kind of been a little bit better way of getting more authentic UGC. Yeah, it is a super saturated market now. We've talked about this before. If you had mega influencers and then everybody was like, ah, I could do that too. And then you ended up with micro influencers. And then people were like, well, I could build a business around this and take a cut of everybody's pay and get them gigs. And you saw all these little, I don't know, influencer farms <laughs> get built out. It's mm-hmm. so interesting though. There is a fine line, I guess, Rachel, to your point of if you would have seen one, you might have been sold on it. But after seeing the 10th person, it's like, okay, it's all the same video. It's yeah. all the same content. They you know, got paid for it. <laughs> Clearly. So they, they got sent it probably product. is a fine line. How do you think this would have affected your mindset on it? If you were just seeing 10 different UGC ads versus if you would have had a UGC ad and then also been fed a bunch of image ads and a variety of different ad types throughout it. How do you think that would have affected your mindset versus just seeing nonstop UGC? Yeah, I think it was the fact that they didn't diversify their content at all. It was just pretty big influencers, people who had like over 500k followers. And well-known people on TikTok. They were in their own personalities, but it was very much like the same video formula. And so I think if they had diversified a little bit as far as like even a UGC mashup video or yeah, images and then maybe just an image of the product with some benefits around it or something like that, then I maybe would have felt a little bit more like I would have started going down the buying process. But the fact that it was just basically the same video with 10 different people, I have stayed up on the top of the... I've stayed curious about it. (laughs) I have not moved down the buyer's journey at all just because they haven't diversified what they're showing me. So it just seemed kind of inauthentic. Yeah. And I think that's important to remember. Like UGC is just a tool in the toolbox. That's what it is. It's not a multi-tool. I mean, yeah, you could use it for a few things, but just sort of like I could technically grab a wrench and beat a nail into a piece of wood eventually, you know, but it's not going to work as well as a hammer. Like there are different tools that accomplish different jobs. And that's what UGC is. Just another tool. Exactly. Yep. I don't think I've been fed anything where it's just nonstop UGC. Yeah, that's the first brand that I've seen. And I noticed it. I picked up on it after like maybe the fifth or sixth person that I've seen. And now... I'm ready to like hide their ads. <laughs> so. It's one of those where it's like, is this the same video? Yeah. How do they keep? <laughs> no, it's different. Yeah. Have you gone into their uh, ads library or anything like that? No, I haven't gone into their ads library. I did watch their organic stuff and they do have some good organic stuff. So I don't know why they're just focusing on these. I think someone just got excited and was like, we got all these influencers. We need to push it all out at once. <laughs> Hire, yeah. Hired them all at once. Yeah. <laughs> got everything back at once. Yeah. Sounds like they could use a creative strategist and a a partner in tier 11. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) 
Well, cool. What else do you guys have to talk about? Is there anything else? We're almost to an hour or so. No, not much nothing, from my nothing side. Nothing standing out? Nothing standing out. Well, cool. Well, this has been fun. And I think this is a great conversation to have regularly. I, I think even just for us, it's nice to talk creative to creative and bounce ideas and just share stories because that's an important part of what we do too is working alongside one another here at Tier 11. But yeah, thank you so much, Rachel, Danny, for joining. It was great. Danny, thank you for going into dinner time. Although you were saying you're an early dinner person, which I don't understand, but whatever. Freak of nature. Why, wise beyond your years. Is that wise? Yeah. I, don't, I don't know. No hard I'm, not, I'm not saying you're an old lady, but kind of sounds like it. I was always nicknamed Granny Danny, and I'm like, really? <laughs> now living for you my embraced nickname. It. Yeah. I'm embracing it. <laughs> I used to fight it when yeah. I was young. I'm just like, hands up. I'm it. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, yeah, thank you for joining us. And uh, for everybody watching, if you're interested in partnering with Tier 11, go to tier11.com. There's a big pink button somewhere on the screen that you'll see that says you can work with us. We'd love to hear from you. And we do this every Friday. So tune in next Friday and we will see you there. Thanks for joining. Thanks for listening to the Customer Acquisition Show. Take the next step toward growing your customer base. Visit tier11.com and request your customized growth plan. And remember to hit the follow button so you can be notified of future episodes.